Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for a new season. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. They are following us. Thank you because we are stepping into a new season of divine manifestation. Lord, we give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Before we sit down, can I quickly declare the word of understanding that we normally declare? One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. No spiritual wisdom and understanding as a result of it. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Please, can you greet somebody on your left and your right? The person, happy new year. God bless you. You are welcome to a new season. Greet somebody else. Greet somebody. Say God bless you. Happy new year. That this is your year of manifestation. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we are prayed. All right. The Lord is good. Please take your seats. The Lord is good. The book of Colossians chapter 1, we will start with that. There are three portions of the scriptures I want to start with. First of all, the book of Colossians chapter 1. Paul was writing here. He said, now I rejoice, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. That is, God gave me assignment for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, I'm in verse 28, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We have two other scriptures we are going to read to start today, but let me just quickly explain what Paul was saying here. Paul was describing the assignment he has in his life, that that assignment includes suffering, that you see him go through stuff. He said, what I am doing, he said, I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. What was he saying? Jesus began the suffering on the cross, but that suffering has not ended. That suffering is still going on. He said, God has given me the responsibility. What you call the stewardship is an assignment. And what I'm doing is going around preaching for one particular purpose. He said, and that's why I like that verse um, 29. No, verse 28. He said, we proclaim him. We are admonishing everyone, teaching each person, warning, teaching with all the wisdom God has given us. He said, the aim is to present them to God 
perfect in Christ. Now, if you read the New Living Translation, it says perfect in their relationship to Christ. But I think it's deeper than that. It's, I like the literal one. We want to present every man complete in Christ Jesus. That is, we're not trying to present everyone having prospered materially. We're not trying to present everyone having been healed physically. Healing is good. Don't ever forget that. All right? It's very good. But we're not trying to pre- That's not the aim. The aim of our teaching is not prosperity. The aim of our teaching is not healing. The aim of our teaching is not material abundance. The aim of our teaching is not um, the physical things that we can see. It's not that God, Christians will now occupy positions of government. That's not the aim of the teaching. The aim of the teaching is that each individual will be perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the aim of the teaching. So please bear that in mind, because that's one of the problems with, the, with life. People don't understand what God is doing in their lives. What God is doing is to present you perfect in Christ. You know, I was, my wife and I were talking, of course, we talk all the time, okay? And I was saying that, look, what for me now, if God asks me, what is one thing I, you want me to do for you? You know, it's now I understand. You know, when you are younger, God, what will you do for me? You, you have to use a lot of spiritual discipline not to ask for money, you know, to, not to ask for some material things. But now, I actually, God has helped me. I have gotten to a point where it's not too much spiritual discipline anymore. If God gives me one opportunity to ask for something that he will do, <laughs> I, I don't even think I will remember money. I don't think I will remember. Is now understand why Solomon, he said it from the bottom of his heart. Give me wisdom. Because God sees your heart. And that question was asked in his dream. That question was asked on his spirit man. It wasn't awake. Okay? So what was on his heart? What was most important to him What was what he asked? Is now I understand why a man will ask that kind of question. If God came to me now, all right, if he comes to me and gives me that opportunity, I think I'm going to do something similar to that. And not because I'm trying to be disciplined spiritually, but because I really understand God has helped me now to understand some things that are just not important in life. So my wife and I were talking. I said, listen, okay, for me, what's most important is that God, please open my eyes. Let me see what is important. We were talking the other day. I was telling her the difference between faith and knowledge. Faith is when you accept somebody else's report. Jesus said, blessed is the one who believes without sin. And he expected Thomas to believe. Why? The women said they saw. Why? Because Peter said he saw. James said he saw. John said he saw. Thomas, we are the only one absent. Why could you not accept their testimony? So faith is when you accept the testimony of credible people, the prophets, the apostles. That is faith. And Jesus demands it. But when faith has entered your heart, it now produces something else. And at that point in time, it's as if, let me put it like this, faith now becomes easy, it becomes normal. And what is it that it produces? The New Testament calls it epignosis, full knowledge. Let me give you an example. Elisha was with his servant, and this mountain was surrounded by soldiers who came to arrest Elisha. Do you understand my point? If Elisha said, don't worry, and that servant calmed down, he was walking by faith. What is faith? Trust in the Lord thy God, you will be established. Believe also his prophet. He didn't see, but the prophet said, relax. But Elisha prayed one prayer for him. He said, God, open his eyes. When God opened that fellow's eyes and he saw the chariots of heaven surrounding the mountain, he was no longer walking by faith. What was he walking by? Knowledge. Now he knew. 
Now he was persuaded. God opened his eyes and he saw. So when people like him are saying that greater, more are those who are on our side than those who are on their side, they are not walking by faith. They are walking by something more advanced than that. They are walking by knowledge, personal acquaintance with truth. When Peter saw Jesus, he didn't have to believe Jesus rose up from the dead. He has seen him. It was Thomas that needed to believe. Peter could not believe anymore. I don't, I don't know what I get my point. He knew. Jesus had given him too much evidence so that his faith, now what you and I now call faith, is natural. It's still faith, don't get me wrong. It's still faith, but it's not the kind of conjure of faith, make up your mind to believe kind of thing. No. What was going on was that Peter and co, they had seen Jesus. So when John was going to speak, he said, that which was in the beginning, which we heard with our ears. Do you understand? Which our eyes saw and then which what? Our hands handled. John was saying, we're not delivering to you what we heard. We are telling you what we handled concerning the word of life. So I told my wife, if God says, what do you want me to do for you? I said, God, give me things to handle. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Why? Because I have come to realize that it gets to a point in life, faith just becomes natural. After that, when the servant of the prophets relaxed, he wasn't trying to relax. He relaxed, relaxed him. Do you get my point? Because God opened his eyes. Let me pray a prayer for you. This year, God will open your eyes. That the Lord will, that is, you know, there are things people are struggling for. You just look and say, why are you struggling for this? Why are you struggling? What is all of this? Many of the things we call, you know, when people misbehave. That's what the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. You see where I'm going? I began all of this by saying that, you see, what's God doing in our lives? He wants us to be what? Complete in Christ. He wants to perfect each person. So what happens is that in life, hunger will come, as an example. And people say, how do we solve hunger? Ah, you know, you have to be sharp. This is how it is. You have to be sharp. Oh, okay, this, there's, there's hunger here. Let us now disappear to where there's no hunger. You see, we're making decisions. And what's the decision about? About self-preservation. The preservation of the flesh. Not realizing that it is not that that God is doing in their lives. What is God doing? He wants to present them perfect in Christ. He wants them to be complete. And Paul said, it's a struggle. He said, it's a suffering. It began with suffering on the cross. And that suffering continues so that I can do my part. He said, a suffering has to continue and I will do my part in that suffering. Let me say something about Christianity. As a matter of fact, it's actually also a life of suffering. It's not needless suffering. You must understand what I'm trying to say. Sometimes when people give me reasons why they need to go from one place to the other, you don't understand your life. You don't understand purpose. You don't understand what God is using you for or what he wants to do through you. Let me ask someone I'm going to say. You know of the man, Joshua. Let me ask you a question. Did he believe God? No, answer me. Did Joshua believe God? Did he doubt God concerning entering the promised land? No. Did he believe he could enter? Let me ask you a question. Did he enter one day quicker than the rest of Israel? Was he being punished? No. Same thing with Caleb. They believed God. Are you getting my point? But God said to Joshua, in effect, do you know why I gave you life? 
He said it to him, no, literally, so that you will help these people inherit the land. So until they are ready to inherit, you will stay with them in the wilderness. You will take over the job of being their shepherd from Moses, and then you will lead them into the promised land. That is, Joshua, a type of Jesus, all right, had to suffer with sinners. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He had to stay with them in the wilderness until they were ready to enter into the promised land. It is not as if God could not take him there in one day. But God said, part of your life is this suffering thing. But it's not useless suffering. It's not suffering for his own sin. That's not the issue. The issue is that the purpose of God, so that God might accomplish his purpose through Joshua. Joshua also had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years, even though he believed God. I'm praying that God will give me understanding of the destiny of nations, especially the one we are living in. So that Christians will understand that, listen, you don't just say a place is rough, so I'm running. Your first question would be, what is my purpose? What's my assignment? Listen, the fact, you know, you know have you heard people talk about these things? Their issue is always that, look at it, and look at this road now. Look, do you understand my point? They always tell you physical things that are out of order. They want to explain to you how you are suffering. And I've come to realize, so, so what? So what? Why are you telling me what I know already? Are you getting my point? But what is the implication of it? Like if somebody said to me once, hey, your colleagues who are practicing medicine abroad, are they not in a better condition than you for concerning the practice of medicine? I said, yes, they are. And so what are you saying? I said, they did not carry my patients with them. That was my answer. I said, they didn't take my patients with them. When they were going, if they had packed all the patients in Nigeria with them, they would be speaking. After all, being a practitioner is not about you. It's about who you are caring for. Are you using the perspective? I said, sorry. You're not getting me right. I told the man that day. It is not, I'm, of course, I mean, for goodness sake. I have been in theaters before they are using torch to finish operation. Touch light. Oh no, if I know when we were young, we thought, how is it possible? And I realized that the doctors are not using the light for anything more than to see. <laughs> Most of the times. Of course, the equipment that may need the power. But sometimes people just finish, okay. We know because some things are not perfect. You know, say a patient that needs surgery, it wouldn't be done. There are times somebody is bleeding and there's no light. And they take the person to the theater and everybody bring out your touch light. Why? It is not about the perfect surgery. It's about the man that's about to die whose life needs to be saved. I worked in the hospital many years ago. We had a number of surgeons. I remember one very handsome man. Very handsome. Tall guy like this. His tongue was, you know, his, his, his accent was British. Even though all of us were born. He was trained abroad. And I worked there for some time. And I remember those days, there was this particular day. He was a big boss, a big boss. He came for surgery. And they were looking for theater, you know, gown for him to wear. And they brought one that had been washed, but was not ironed. And I said, no, I don't think I can wear that, you know. And he kept on speaking English. So he turned to the, to the, next, the doctor next in command. And said, okay, what you do? You go in. And he gave him instructions on what to do concerning that particular surgery. 
you do this, do this, you know, like that. This was before the days of phone everywhere, you know. So who were the, who were the most junior? So we're just standing watching the big boys talk. And he turned and he left. You know what the Bible says? Anyone waiting for conditions to be perfect will get nothing done. That's the Bible rendering of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. He that watches the wind will not sow. He that observes the clouds will not reap. Living Bible says anyone waiting for conditions to be perfect will get nothing done. But he had a colleague there. Incidentally, it's not now that Nigeria trains a lot of doctors and surgeons, specialists. These people were trained those days in the maybe late 70s, early 80s, or right abroad. He also came back from the UK. But a real village man who is villageness had not yet left him. He had been there before. He had to rush to, into theater. And there was, no, there was no theater shoes to wear. So he went in barefoot. I've seen him. I saw him operate several times while I walked there. I never saw the other man operate one, okay, only once. I saw him operate only once on a special private patient which he had made all the provisions for personally. Every time he comes, he starts speaking English. The other man didn't speak any English. They both trained abroad. They both came back with the same set of skills. But this other man, I saw him. In fact, there was a day he said, look, you, you are working with me today. I said, yes, sir. And we went everywhere. From one hospital to another. I saw all kinds of surgery that day. My job was just to hold this, hold that, hold this, hold that. Conditions were not perfect. But I saw him save lives again and again and again. Now, what am I talking about? That, look, that, I'm trying to explain a particular perspective to life. So when people come and start telling me stories, this is another I said, no, you don't understand. That's not what God is doing. God is using me. I'm talking about Christianity and suffering. Remember? That's what I'm trying to say. That part of the life of Christianity is this suffering thing. But not useless suffering. Peter explained that it's not suffering for your sins. It is suffering because Joshua cannot leave the people he's supposed to shepherd in the promised land just because he believed. He couldn't leave them in the wilderness and go alone into the promised land. So, he stays with them and suffers. He stays with them and suffers. And you cannot be touched. It's difficult for you to influence what you have not experienced. Very diff- difficult. That's, what, that's why God gave us life some people are making decisions, saying, eh, life is good, your life is not good, they make me... Listen, I have been begging you, eh? Don't make decisions that will make God know that you don't have any sense of destiny. Suffering is not a big deal. And believers must learn to endure hardship. It doesn't mean you enjoy it, let me say it again. We're not saying you enjoy it, too. But you must learn to do what? Endure. You must endure it so much, at the point in time, we don't know whether you're really enjoying it. That's the principle. That's what Christianity is. Is that rugged, dogged attitude. That is an assignment. That's what Paul was trying to say here. So Paul explained that to bring people to the knowledge of Christ, to bring them to completeness in Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus began this on the cross. The Bible says in bringing many sons to glory, God had to perfect the author of their salvation through prosperity. Did you see that? Is that what the Bible says? Through what? Through sufferings. Thank you. The author of the salvation of the people was perfected through suffering. We think the author of salvation will be perfected through prosperity, through abundance. No. He was perfected through suffering. 
He began on the cross. He didn't suffer for his own sins. As a rule, he had to be a worthy high priest only because he did not have to offer any sacrifice for his own sin. God perfected the author of our salvation to suffering. And Paul now said, the suffering has not finished. He said, it hasn't finished. He said, some is still remaining. So he said, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. That is, every suffering has a sake. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it must have. It must have. That's what makes it godly. There is something it is accomplishing. He said, I do my share on behalf of the, of the body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. That is, some things have not yet been accomplished. He said, I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. It is not easy, I mean like, to the flesh now, to get up, and let me say something quickly. The gospel is truly the answer. The one, one reason why many of us are not willing to take any punishment for it is that we don't really believe it's the answer. I've seen people say that now I've understood that what people need in life right now, you know, is to know how to you know, be able to plan a society. You know, <laughs> let me say to you, the gospel is actually the answer. I had a discussion, I'm in a particular chat group with, it's a chat group mostly of surgeons, but they put a number of us who are not surgeons in to get some perspectives once in a while, you know, because nobody knows everything. So I, I read all the time, but I only talk once in a while. Then recently the issue came, on, came up on intelligence and race. And because I understood a bit of genetics, I put my mouth in genetics and race, genes. So when I talk now started. Of course, we all agreed on something, especially because we're all black. They're all over the world. Some are in the UK, some are in the US, you know, different parts of the world. Most are in Nigeria. And of course, all of us are black. Almost all. There are a few non-Nigerian, non, uh, that is, people who are not black in the platform. So, what I'm saying that because we're all black, you can understand that easily we can agree that we're not inferior <laughs> genetically because one man says something that caused a lot of problems recently. So, we now began to analyze. Now, I'm going somewhere. Again and again, we analyzed it. The evidence shows that black people do not have an inferior brain. They are not genetically inferior to white people. And we all present the evidence. that Look, we all see it. When they go abroad, the most educated group of people in the United States today are Nigerians. You know, they've checked it. Immigrant Nigerians are the most educated group of people in the United States. More than the whites, more than the Asians, more than the Jews. Nigerians are well-read. Then, you know of the Mafidon kids in the UK. Those geniuses in mathematics. And then, I saw a video a few days ago of a 14-year-old graduating from an American, from an American university Majoring in quantum physics. Minor in mathematics and in Chinese. 14. He was in the, our equivalent of GS2 at the age of 5. And he's black. Not pure black, but mostly black. His younger brother is getting to university at 11. And I'm not going to test stories. They are, the younger brother said he's majoring I think it's something advanced mathematics. Astrophysics, thank you. The other brother has a degree. At the age of 14, in, math- in physics. Quantum physics. 
minor in mathematics and Chinese. And the reporter said, what was she feeding them? The boy started learning calculus at the age of three. Oh, yes. Nobody thought, you know, like the boy just looked, just reading, ah, the guy took a liking to maths, and at the age of three, asked the mother whether I could like, learn calculus. Unbelievable, right? Yes. For me, it wasn't too shocking because I've read a lot of things about some of these things. Now, so in that group, we're discussing these things. So now, this is where I'm going. The confusion now in, okay, all of us agree that these black people are intelligent. We all agree that they are not inferior. How come their nations are not developed? That's what the discussion was. Oh, that's where the gist was. Like, okay, thank you very much. Your genes are normal. Thank you very much. You are as, you are as intelligent as anybody else. In fact, you are producing some of the sharpest brains in the world. Thank you. But how come none of you have a country that's not a dash whole country, according to Donald Trump? They call the countries shithole countries. Then how come with all your brain, you produce shithole countries? At that point in time, I stopped talking. You know why I stopped talking? Because, I'm sorry to say it, I know the answer. And the answer does not belong on a platform of surgeons. If I go into that, they say it's not scientific. So I just kept quiet. Because, go and ask Nebuchadnezzar. When he said, is this, Babylon the, is this not Babylon the Great, which I built with my intelligence? God removed the intelligence and Babylon worked stronger. So God said, how did you build it? I didn't have to tell people that, listen, when we say the gospel is the answer, that's what we mean. That if you are not blessed, you know what God says? You will gather, but I will scatter. If you are not blessed, you will labor, bring it home into pockets that has holes. That you would not understand how things just don't work. That the prosperity of a nation is spiritually determined. It's not based on the intelligence of the people. When we say the gospel is the answer, the gospel is the answer. We are not lying. Once one of our brothers, many years ago, those early days of Kingdom World, we were talking about some things that are the issues in the nation. We're talking about, you know, let me give an example now. Let's just make it, let's make it simple. Take a group of people, a tribe, for example, Igbo people. Take Hausa people as an example. You take Yoruba people, take minority, what we call minorities, South-South, a lot of people in the South-South and all of that. Take them group by group. They have an opinion about everybody else. Now, if you leave the Igbo man as an example and go to the Hausa man, I hope, I hope you know the Igbo man is very correct in everything he's thinking. Yes, but he's, the Hausa man has a directly opposite opinion, and do you know he's also correct in everything he's thinking? So you have two people who are disagree with each other, each one correct in what he's thinking. And why would they not fight? The other day, somebody, you know, there's this video that was going around, old video of Amadou Belu and his doctrine of northernization. How he said clearly that the problem with people from the East is that they want to dominate everything. And that he has an assignment from God, I'm the one adding from God, to make sure it doesn't happen. And everybody was angry. And I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry. Why, was I, why would I be angry? Like I told you, God has given me understanding. So I, some things, I was saying, anger lies in the bosom of fools. So if you have understanding, some things won't vex you. What I realized was that he believed what he was saying. He meant, it, it was not malice. He felt oppressed. He looked around his area and he saw what had happened. 
is a reaction from something. You can disagree with him because you're not from his place. I look and say, no need to be angry. So that is this brother and I were talking. With this kind of situation, how do we solve it? That's what he was saying. He said, okay, sir, so what is the solution? That was his question. Because there's this mutual suspicion, many of the times, unwarranted. Somebody just tells you something is just wrongly distributed. And because some, some priming in the heart was already there, you believe every negative thing. You know, I, let me not go there. Anyway, the point is this. He now asked me, how do we solve it? And I smiled. I said to him, the only answer is the gospel of Jesus. There is, listen, I am 110% persuaded concerning what I'm saying. The only answer is the gospel. It is. There is no other answer. There is no other answer. That is why I respect men like my friend Pastor Courage who left where they were and went to Meduguri to go and start preaching. And God did something for him. He, started, he went there to go and start a church. But you know what he ended up doing? Most, anytime he calls a meeting, 70-80% will be ministers of the gospel. He called me and said, my brother, what is going on? I said, it's an apostolic work you are doing. That is why God has brought these men to you, so you can stimulate them to go back and go and preach the truth. You are not here just to raise the church and start teaching one, two Christians. You are here to disciple the teachers of the Christians. Because that is the only solution. Every time people get tired and they find another way to solve a problem, the problem becomes tougher. I've given this example again and again. A place like United States, racism was an issue. And please, let me just beg you again. Anger lies in the bosom of who? Fools. People who don't have understanding. I have, I'm not angry with the white man for being racist. Do you know why? Even the black people are racist. Just go settle down. Think of a group of people your tribe thinks are inferior to you. Think of how you treat them too. So the white people are not worse than the average black people. They are just the ones on top. And anyone who's on top and is a natural human being looks down on those who are below. There is no big deal about it. If you were the ones that the whites were your slaves for hundreds of years, you too would think they are inferior to you. I've never, that's why I'm not angry with the white man. If you look down on me, I will look down on you back. There's nothing. <laughs> it's true. I told you once I was sitting in the, in the Dubai airport. I was an issue. So one Arab man, they called me and did like this. My mind got punished. I will get up from here and come and answer you. Very stupid. I didn't answer him. He said he's calling you. I said he's not calling me. Don't call a prince of God with your left hand. Are you stupid? If you want to talk to me, you say, sir, can I speak with you? Then I'll get up and show you respect. Because my great-great-grandfathers were slaves. This one is a son of God. If I get up and answer you, you, your children, all of you will fall sick that night. So let me just sit down where I am. Let's not cause problems for ourselves. It's true. Sorry, I think I'm arrogant. That's why I don't beg anybody for their visa. I'm going to country, won't prosper. Let me die. I prefer, look. I will die with my hunger and pride. And righteous pride. And God said, Banky, you are dead. I said, yes, sir. What happened? I'm a free man. That's why I died. I will not become anybody's slave for prosperity. Say, Lord, you know Jesus died for me. I I never forgot it. That's why I'm dead. But I can stoop down to preach the gospel. There's a different matter. Are you getting my point? I can suffer for the preaching of the gospel. I have no problem with that. I'm talking about something else. Now, back to what I'm going to say. So, in a place like you, so don't be angry. And you say, why? I say, listen, you know why the racism is coming back? It's simply because when God gave freedom, freedom from, uh, from slavery, 
freedom from discrimination could only be guaranteed by the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And when the gospel advanced and people became free and people like Martin Luther King rose up and had his dream and God used them to bring emancipation to the black people in America, the Bible says Jeshurun became fat and he kicked. That is, free people, they become fat and they become rebellious. They become rebellious to God. And when Donald Trump became president, I said he's a kickback. That is, he's a recoil. He's, he's, a, he's a reaction to when the whites began to feel oppressed. But spiritually, it's a different matter. The now said that he's rolling back these uh, years of progress. God said, what do you call progress? Same-sex marriage. God said, what do you call progress? A Christian in his own shop says, I, uh, sorry, I don't believe in same-sex marriage. Therefore, I cannot make cake for your same-sex wedding. You take the fellow to court and you find him. You call that progress? So when Donald Trump arrived, since he came into office, not one person has been sued stupidly like that. Have you noticed? In fact, he's the one causing all the trouble. Nobody else has opportunity to cause trouble. The big boss is busy with all the trouble. We can't have two people causing trouble. But this is what I tell people. That's the physical aspect. I said spiritually. What happened was that the Bible said Jeshurun became fat and he kicked. He became rebellious. God said, thou shall remember. There are things people tend to forget when they have prospered. I said, because of their freedom, they've forgotten that the source of freedom is Christ. So they began to depart from him. What happened? They are all going back into bondage. That's what I'm talking about. It's bondage that we experience once we walk away from the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. What am I trying to say? As a matter of fact, the solution to all the problems is the gospel of Jesus. Being convinced of that, Christians must be ready to suffer to preach it. That's what I'm explaining. Being convinced of that, we must be ready to suffer. It's not, look, I'm not talking about useless suffering. I'm talking about suffering. Paul said, I rejoice at my suffering for your sake. Like I said, yes, I could run somewhere and have a better life. But what about the assignment that God gave me? Anytime I see people talk, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. See, you have never told me anything about divine assignment, about destiny. It's always, you can buy a car. <laughs> Let's not go there. When you hear Christians talk sometimes, you start shaking your head for God. Say, God, sorry. Oh. These are your children. How will you feel to be a father of stupid people like this ones? Who don't understand destiny? All of this, I'm trying to analyze one scripture. The apostle said the real purpose is what? To present every man complete in Christ. I just, I took a small side trip there to explain that Paul's life is a type of life we should also live. Thinking of purpose, thinking of what God wants to use us for. But let's talk about ourselves again. The primary thing that God is doing in our lives is presenting each one of us complete in Christ Jesus. That's the primary thing that he's doing. I want to say this again. Please, so this life is temporal. No matter how long you live, you're not likely to live so long that you will be considered to have lived more than, okay, maybe push it, push it, you hit 120. Even by that time, by that time, even you will be tired. What am I saying? No matter how long you live, it's still a short life. 120 max. This generation, 120. Yes, we can live longer than that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's medically impossible. Medically, yes, it's impossible, but people, in fact, <laughs> the other day, 
I read Sadhu, Sadhu Sundar Selvaraj saying that there's one man, he called the Maharishi of Kailash, that's 400 years old, and he's living in a cave in the Himalayas. The last I heard from him was the most shocking one. He said, John the Beloved is still alive 2,000 years after. And he wasn't joking. And he'll show you from scripture that the man never died. Then I, I now went to research and found out that actually nobody knows when he died. But they all assume that he died at a particular time because that was when the last they saw him. I know another thing he said. He said he's not the only one, that there are plenty. Let me tell you another thing. I believe him. And I was so happy to read it, actually. I said, how can this life just be like all that we are seeing? There's more to it. So I'm not saying medically it's impossible that people can live beyond 20. That's what I'm going to say. All right? I'm not saying medically impossible. I'm just saying that it's unlikely for 99.99% of us to live longer than that. But I'm saying that that 120 years, self is a very short time. Every time I wake up, I say, eh, another day has passed. Ask my wife. Because mm, another one has gone. Like play like joke. I've been in Enugu for almost 20 years now. Yes. Came to Enugu in the year 2000. This is 2019, right? Yeah. Next year to be 20 years. This life is not long ago. For that reason, it is precious. I hope you're getting my point. For that reason, it is precious. So ask yourself, what are you going to do with it? So I want to use the life to build a house. It makes me laugh. Do you realize? One day they'll be digging your house and looking at it as archaeological finding. I think God gave us CNN, Calamity News Network, for us to realize what actually the life, this world is like. Tsunami, tsunami, tsunami. Indonesia built tsunami warnings after 200 and some thousand people died in a day some years ago, about 20 years ago. The other one happened a few days ago. They said it's not, tsunami warnings were not working. So it wasn't working. Why were they not working? Nobody knows. And nobody said, no, they were working. What happened was this particular tsunami is not the normal tsunami. Normal tsunamis come because of earthquake offshore. This one came because a volcano erupted and caused a, 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 a landslide under the sea. So it was a silent tsunami. <laughs> I started laughing. But this is what I'm talking about. Then he wiped and killed dozens of people and wiped off houses, property, and showed again that all flesh is what? Grass. We can't live our lives erecting grass. It's not right. We should live lives that have the potential of extending beyond this life into eternity. Each person, God has given him or her work that he can judge him by, judge her by, so that it will, when it has been burnt with fire, it will not be destroyed. It has to be a spiritual thing if it will not be destroyed by fire. Because even gold would be destroyed by fire. Mountains will melt, melt like wax when the Lord comes. So anything that will not be destroyed at that time must be something that is spiritually based. I hope you're getting my point. That is, Paul said, what am I doing with my own life? I'm presenting every man complete in Christ. Now, what am I saying for us individuals is that completeness of Christ, in Christ that is the primary thing that God is doing in our lives, not these material things. I was saying something earlier about nations. What happens to them? Being spiritual. It's not because they are not intelligent. Some things are just spiritual. I hope you're getting my point. Now, God says something. Let's read some other things. 
some other scriptures. Let's see what Haggai said. Haggai chapter 1. I'm just going to bring out something here. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains. Bring wood and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with you and be glorified, says the Lord. Now notice verse 9. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. The Lord said, why? He said, it is because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I call for a drought on the land, not the devil, it's God. I call for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces. I call for a drought on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. Now let me just stop reading here. Let's read something else so that I can add the two together. Leviticus chapter 18. He said in verse 24. Let's just back up a bit from verse 19. This is the word of God, alright? There's a reason why I just wanted to back up to verse 19. And from verse um, Sorry, I want to save time. Okay, let's just start from verse 20. You shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay, yeah, this is why I wanted verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. He said, do not defile yourselves by any of these, any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes, my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Let me just stop here. Now, there's a reason why I read these two portions, okay? Both from this Leviticus chapter 18 and the one we read from Haggai chapter 1. Just to emphasize to us again that the condition of a land is determined by the behavior of the people on it. I hope you are getting my point. That's what I want to just emphasize again. It's scripture. It's the word of God. Many times people... Now, don't forget, the Bible says, by faith we understand that the words were prepared by the word of God. Seasons of life are prepared by spiritual order that God has set. Physical things you see, they come out of spiritual 
occurrences, physical things that we see. Remember, anger lies where? In the bosom of fools. When people do understand these things, they get angry. They say things like, how can a nation that has university graduates, professors, you know, you have all kinds of big names, how can we be arguing whether the head of state has school set or it does not have? It shows the kind of level we have degenerated to. You know who wants to be president? Professor Pat Utomi. You know that professor is what I'm emphasizing. Why? After all, this is a nation that has a lot of intellectuals. There are things that Christians should not say if they have understanding. Am I saying you should not appoint a professor into office? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying to you that God does not care. And he's the one that appoints people to office. He said, I set upon those offices the least qualified. He said it, I didn't say it. I hope you are getting my point. And there's no need getting angry. If God chooses somebody, he has chosen. All this, your quarrel is your personal issue. Anger lies in the bosom of those that don't understand. Now, please bear that in mind. As you know, I'm saying that. Now that you have, you have understanding, you also know that progress in the nation also is a gift of God. No matter how intelligent the people are, no matter how much they plan, God said they can gather and I will cause it to scatter. We just read just now, he said, I, I call for a famine. I call for a drought upon, and he began to mention the things he called for a drought upon. Produce of the field, I said, be dry. With all the agricultural intelligence, it was dry. Once, I don't know, that World Cup that held in South Africa, how many of you watched it? How many years ago was that? 2010. Nine years ago. Almost nine years now. Did you see, was it Ghana or Cameroon? There was one country, it was Ghana. I said that loss was spiritual. Go and watch that match again. When Ghana lost that match, I said, this loss, it has to be spiritual. Then I renewed my vow not to watch football again. <laughs> it was very painful. Because from every human calculation, they should have won. They hit the ball in nine minutes. It hit the pole, hit the line, and rolled back out. If the witches in your village are not after you, why would you always see it happen? <laughs> after that, I said, why am I watching this match? Why am I here disturbing myself? Listen, that day, I renewed my understanding again of spiritual things. That God said, play all you want. You are going home. Yeah. And once he has said it, he has said it. I know God is in, if I, watching football, you know God is king. How many of you, how many of you ever heard or watched the miracle of Daman? Well, many years ago, not now. You need to have been watching football in the 80s to have watched that. Junior World Cup, that's under 21, I think. This was in Saudi Arabia. Nigeria was playing in the semifinals against Russia. You know, God knows how to tackle the pride of men. I remember that one. I didn't watch it live. I was in school. I saw, I knew when camp was scattered. I knew something had happened. There was a guy called Oleg Salenko. Oleg Salenko wired four goals against Nigeria. So hot was that Russian team that after the fourth goal, the coach told him to come and sit down. Yeah, he replaced him because four zero. Ah, what did he remain again? Hmm. You know what they call 
pride goes before a fall. As soon as he removed Oleksa Lenko, God said, what? What did you just do? <laughs> Nigeria returned four goals. <laughs> That's what they call the miracle of Daman. You can, you can Google it. Nigeria pulled back four straight goals. Drew the thing. I think it took extra time. I think they now won with penalty. That one. <laughs> and then one man of God said they are going to lose in the finals. And they lost 2-1 in the finals. <laughs> this is our spiritual. That day, ha, let's not talk football. But watching football, international football, not this club side. This club side, I don't know enough spiritual. I'm not saying there's spirituality there. I just don't know it. But this national one, that one I know. Once I watch, I said this one. There was a day Nigeria was playing against Argentina. I, I don't watch. I, I, I want to live long, so I don't watch those matches. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. People were watching in my, city, in, my, in my city room, in a small apartment that time in Lagos. I went and hid in the tiny kitchen. She be hearing commentary, Abby. So I put music there and increased it very loud. So I couldn't hear commentary. The music was so loud, I couldn't hear commentary. Then I came out, I told my friend, I said, how, go, how goes the battle? He said, do you really want to know? I said, yeah, he said, it's bloody old. We were playing against Brazil, semi-finals. Atlanta 96. I said, eh, set 3-1. Set 3-1. So I went back to my kitchen, locked the door. I said, God, it's Brazil. I said, no, those would have do samba. <laughs> I said, God, all their sins will not remember. <laughs> I'm not joking. I said, God, you've seen their carnival. The girls will be dancing naked on the street. Is it good? I said, Lord, please do not forget. I said, but as for our own iniquities, Lord, have mercy. I'm not joking. No. What I've told you was what I told the Lord, literally. I told God about the carnivals in Brazil. That how can he forget? I said, but our own iniquities, Lord, have mercy. Where are your people? We are preaching this gospel. Just have mercy on us. Next thing I knew, the whole place scattered. I came out. What happened? They said they don't equalize. I said, this one will win. I dragged the chair. I sat down. <laughs> I still remember. I still remember. I forgot who did that cross. But I was finished the joy of somebody. Gave that cross. As Amokachi was running, hit Amokachi on the back. Dropped to the front of Kanoanko. Pushed it. Pushed it. Whoa! Sudden death. I said, Lord, thank you. I appreciate this. <laughs> A lot is good. Now, what am I saying? Listen, destiny of nations spiritually determined. These things are determined in heaven. They're not determined on the earth. That is directly. It's God in heaven that says to one country, nation, prosper. And it says to another one, I have called a drought upon you. Remember we started by trying to emphasize, one, the aim is each individual being perfected in Christ. Remember that? Yes. I want to emphasize again that physical things do two things for us. One, they show us our spiritual state. That's one thing they do. Like here, saw the people, they were having trouble. Economy was not working. Investment bad. And they went to God and said, why? And he said, it's because you have abandoned my house. And in each generation, there is a house. I don't know what I get, what I've said there. 
In each generation, there is a house. And when people abandon that house, they always have problems. Now, it is not as if God is punishing them per se, even though it's punishment. But the aim is not pain. The aim is repentance. He just wants them to just notice. And one of the things that pains the Lord, and I'm saying that it pains him, is that when things happen like that, now listen to this, he said, is Nigeria one group of people like that? In every nation, the Bible says that God has drawn the borders according to the number of the sons of Israel. And don't ever forget, he said, peace upon, be upon the Israel of God. We are the Israel of God. Don't forget that. That is, God looks at the nation. Derek Prince said, in any nation where the church is established, God holds the church responsible for anything that happens in that country. So, when the economy, you know, tanks, and things go upside down, God said, leave Forbes to be analyzing. Leave Economist magazine to be analyzing. CNBC can be doing analysis. Central Bank will do their own. All the banks will do the analysis. God said, all of you, go home. That the church in that nation should go and ask God, what is going on? Many times God will say, you people are buying too much steel. Say, why steel? Say, every time I look, you are gathering money to build buildings. And I want to go and gather money to buy paper. Say, why paper? Print the gospel. Disseminate it. Say, every time you have a special project, it's always something material. That is material like a new car, bigger house. We start, when, we de- when we dedicate some of the big churches we have built, we think it's a spiritual achievement. God will just, you know, there are churches we dedicate, and God says, Well, light a lie, I'm not going. It doesn't say, Well, light a lie, per se. Are you getting my point? <laughs> say, I swear by myself, I will not attend one service there. Yet, we will gather the whole, even the president will be invited for the commission. And God is looking, say, Me? Enter that place? No. We become like the church in Laodicea. Now, what God is saying, I'm just giving that as an example. I'm not giving that as a prophetic word. I'm giving that as an example, okay? So many times things happen, God says, it is the church. You know, let me just tell you my own experience. I have observed it, and I feel very bad. No pastors are the problem. I hope you know it's not the average person. It's those that call themselves pastors that are the problem. The other day I went for a program, my wife and I. One man came, finished preaching. When my wife and I left there, I said, I told my wife, I said, did you realize that he did not stir up faith? He stirred up common sense. I said, as a minister of the gospel, you should not stir up common sense. You should stir up faith. And I was unhappy. The woman spoke after him. That's the one that annoyed me the most. You know, I hate it when people drag tribalism into church. It upsets me so bad. I said, what is wrong with this fellow? If any man is in Christ, Paul said, henceforth, I know no man after the flesh. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. The reference said something that struck me the other day. He said, the miracle in the Bible is not what was said alone, but what was not said. He said, there is not one place the physical appearance of Jesus was given. The length of his hair, his height, nothing was ever said about his physical appearance. He said that omission is, is deliberate. It hits me. The reference said, read your Bible. Not one place do you find the disciples, the apostles, who walked with him for three years, 
tell you what he looked like. Whether he was tall or short, the only person that will give you indication is Zacchaeus. Are you getting my point? <laughs> but Jesus, nothing was said about him. You know what the recluse was saying? In fact, that I said, I want to tell all my brethren that I said Jesus was a Jew to stop it. Paul said, never refer to him as a Jew. He said, henceforth, I know. We say, even though we knew Christ like that, henceforth, we knew him thus no longer. I felt like I called that brother daddy, please, we're inside church. When Masop wants to fight Arewa People's Congress, we are the ones they are supposed to call. I don't know what I get my point. Yes. And say, please, stop this quarrel. That day I looked, I told my wife, what is wrong with this fellow? What does he think he is? When you get to your village, you say that thing. But this is church. We magnify Christ alone. We magnify Christ alone. Listen, my people. What am I going to say? The church is the problem. And inside the church is the pastors. We are the ones that are supposed to teach the body of Christ what is right. I said our experiences do two things. One, they give us a reflection of the correct state of our hearts, both as individuals and as a church. And number two, God uses them also to stimulate us to do that which is right. I hope you are getting my point. Sometimes, listen, if you are having one problem again and again that is not going away, and you have prayed and prayed and prayed to the Lord about it, and it doesn't seem to go away, you know what God is saying? Leave that problem alone. That problem is not the problem. There is something else that's a more serious problem that you have not seen. Because if you seek the right thing, all other things will be added to you. I like one thing the Prince said when I was listening to him a few days ago, or two nights ago. That God does not want to pray about provisions. He said because he never forgets to make provisions. He said if you have to pray about it, just ask him, where did you keep it? Not as if tell him that, Lord, you know I need things. He said, how can you tell him you need things? Are you trying to say he does not know? He said, this is how he is. He knows. And all the time he makes the provision ahead. You only come behind to discover. When I heard that thing, I told my wife, I said, have you know, I said do you know when we first came to Enugu that time? We needed a house, of course, to rent. And I remember then I told my wife, we can't be asking God to help us find a house. I said, Did we, was it our idea to come to town? I said, the answer is no. I said, therefore, the house that we need hmm, is somewhere. We just need to find it. I said, because we never thought about coming to Enugu. It was, uh, uh, look, I don't doubt that one. It was his leading that brought us here. I said, so now that we are here, did he think we'll stay under a mango tree? It's not his character. It is not likely we'll stay under a mango tree. So there has to be a house somewhere. So Jesus said, if things are not working... Go and ask him the real questions. There's a drought upon the produce of the field. Go and ask him, where is the house that we are neglecting? But many times, you know how we pray? This year, every produce of the field will manifest. Then we'll keep on fighting on produce of the field. Then we'll have seminars on how to increase the production of the field. Plant early in March. So that if the rain starts by the middle of March, your first corn harvest will be by June. Then you can do a second round before the rain stops in October. So one land will give you two rounds of corn in a year. Everybody will call it 
financial prosperity seminar. And Christians will gather. And God, you know what God will be saying? If only they would have located the house that they are supposed to focus on. Hmm? I would have caused the rain to start in April and end in December. Uh, sorry, start in uh, February and end in December. They would have had three cycles of grain. This one that they are doing, I will make sure they have abundance harvest for the two cycles. But when they store it, weevil will eat everything. The next year, they will come to how to combat weevil. <laughs> By the third year, they will have learned everything. I will now seize rain entirely for the whole year. And God says, you know what? It's taking them three years to realize that their poverty is not a result of not knowing how to plant or how to preserve. It has taken them three years because now when they don't know how to do rain again, and I say, oh boy, things are awful. They will now kneel down and say, Lord, ah, help us. And God will now say, fine. Now, taking that portion from Haggai, this is the house you neglected. Like I said, each generation has a house. Each life, each family has a house that they, that they must not neglect. And anytime we are praying for change, change does not occur just because it's 2019, switch from 2018 to 2019, and suddenly it becomes a year of something. No. Except there's new revelation. Except there's a new focus. Listen to me. That change will not come. The change will not come. That change will not come. The primary thing that God is doing is spiritual. It's not physical. I hope you're getting my point. The physical thing is just, like I said, he uses them to indicate things for us. There are tools. All right? Take food as an example. Provisions. We need them to function physically. And he manipulates those things, one, as a sign of blessing, as a sign of problems, and oftentimes to let us know that we need to seek what is right. Unfortunately, many times what we as pastors do is to focus Christians on those material things. No, as, no, no, I thought about it. God is very faithful. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. He's faithful. He's faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Absolutely. If anything is out of order, it's our understanding that is wrong. Let's rise to our feet. If anything is out, of, is out of order, it's our understanding that is wrong. We are the ones not doing what is right. We are the ones not praying the right prayers. We are the ones not seeking the right things. We are the ones having the wrong focus. We are the ones elevating the things that are not important to levels of importance that God did not give them and putting the things that are important at low levels. is never the one. He never gets anything wrong. He never gets anything wrong. Listen. Make sure anytime you want to solve a problem in life, solve your problems first and foremost spiritually. It's not physically. Some people are looking for work, looking for work. After they don't find work for two, three years, they now say they are going to get another degree. God said you don't understand anything. Degree is not what your problem is. I'm not saying there's something wrong with having degrees. But if you think that's what will give you productivity, go. Go and get it. When you finish getting it, you come back. You now continue from where you stopped. You now, that's when you now find an association of jobless PhD holders. You did not know it was there until you got to your PhD. I'm telling you the truth. Am I saying PhD is bad? No. I'm just saying it is not the solution to your poverty. It's not the solution to your lack of progress. It's not. It's not. What is the solution? I don't know your own situation. I don't. And you know God is always trying to call <laughs> God in heaven. There are so many things that are 
that we need to be corrected about. And in each person's life, God picks one after the other. There are people that their own. You remember, perfect in who? Perfect in who? God will not let you die angry with your father. There are some people who are angry. God says, okay, this boy, <laughs> I don't want you to die. Hmm? If you die with him, angry with him, it will have eternal consequences. And that's not a joke. You don't carry your anger into his heaven. He has to modify you one way or the other before you come in. And if he has to cut you so low, you'll now become a gate man according to Final Quest. Rick Joyner. God will just keep you in one corner. That by the time I finish trimming this guy, trimming, nothing remains again. Why? Anger in his soul against his father. So God said, so that I will not have to do that. I'm going to squeeze him, squeeze him, squeeze him. And how will he manifest in his own life? He no go find work. Any business he does, he collapse. Please, I, I, this year I'm going to teach on that grace matter again. Don't let, grace does not handle some things. Because it's not to your advantage that that thing is left in your soul. So the fellow said, why I'm not be, be getting a job? I need to go. Some will even go back to go and redo a first degree. Because they found that all their friends that have um, uh, maybe two one in um, management got jobs in Dangote. <laughs> they go back to school, do a PGD, do one thing, one thing or the other, and read hard. Because your problem is anger and unforgiveness. Yes, I'm telling you, that's how it does why well, he just wants to squeeze you to the point where you will just forgive somebody and then you leave, go move on with your life. What he's doing is what? Perfect in Christ. What he's doing is perfect in who? In Christ. That's what he's doing. Perfecting us in Christ. And that is why if you don't have money, it's not a problem as far as it's concerned. Uh, if that lack of money will make you pray and in that process you hear a word. And let you know that, uh, oh boy, this has been my problem. And then something opens. Listen, and God is very patient. Amen? Amen. One of the reasons why he has to be patient is that he's dealing with it's eternity. He's not your 100 years in life. He's dealing with eternity. So you can make a Christian hungry for three years so that he or she can forgive the father. And that forgiveness is not about your father, it's about you. Let me tell you another thing. You know one of the reasons why God's power, because my wife has been, been praying about that, you know, we got to, we get to discussing it a lot in life, in, in my house. One of the reasons why God's power has not been as manifested as it's supposed to be or who we want it to be is that it's very costly. When I say costly, it kills people. In the, in, in the church in um, Jerusalem, the early church, things were so powerful. At the point in time, Paul will be, uh, Peter will be walking past. One thing that did not happen to Jesus happened with Peter. In the time of Jesus, you have to touch him to be healed. In the time of Peter, just get close, you are healed. He said it's shadow. It was not literal shadow. It was aura around him. Whether you're on his left or on his right, anywhere his shadow can reach, left or right, it healed. Do you know that? But you know the cost? Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Because I've been wondering, what is the big deal now? We sold land for 15 million. We gave you 7.5. Is it not better than nothing? And do you know, Peter slaughtered two people for it. Even instead of him to help the woman, he said, tell the truth, the husband is dead. Though. He said, wait, 
Is it true? Hey, Peter, Peter, what's your problem? You should have just told the woman, your husband is dead because of the lie. You tell the truth now. He said, um, <clears throat> how much did you say the land? 7.5. Are you sure? Yes. You brought everything? 100%. The journal too. What am I saying? Things like a lying tongue is an abomination to the Lord. And many of the problems we have in life, God says, tied to the lying tongue. He said, I don't want to kill people. That's why I've withheld the power. If you guys pray hard enough and I bring it down, Pastor will die. Oh. Peter could do what he did because he wasn't telling the lie. He already killed Judas early. That was the only guy that was doing it now. They removed Judas early. By the time they came, hmm? everybody was lieless. Is my English good? The first liars they saw in that church were Ananias and Sapphira. And it was not acceptable. What am I saying? Many of the things we are asking God to change. God said, hey, hey, forget the things outside. Let's change the things where? Inside. I was preaching somewhere earlier this year. I told everybody. In fact, I wasn't planning to preach. My wife was there. Are you angry? I said, I'm not angry. I was just reading scripture. That God said, everybody that's not dealing with his neighbor fairly and is abusing Buhari, I will punish the person. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Your neighborhood, you are not fair, you are not just. And you join those who are criticizing the head of state, you are in trouble. Why? How can you have a log in your eyes and be looking at the speck in President Muhammadu Bari's eyes? Those who are saying, Nigeria, why are you borrowing? Say, you go and pay those who are owing to. If you are still owing anybody, you cannot ask Nigeria why they are borrowing. Let me tell you the truth. I'm not a preacher that makes people feel happy. In fact, my preaching will scare people. Next time you want to come and hear me preach, you'll be afraid. You'll confess your sins before coming. Yes. There are times I'm just... I told myself, I'm not going to be nice again. I want to offend people this year. Jesus did that. I came to, I brought a sword to separate father from son. Yes. Because if you want the power of God to manifest, there are certain corrections we all have to make individually and as a body, the church. Like I told that brother, I was saying that I was so angry. I told my wife, what, where does this guy think he is? I, I was angry because these days I just said, brethren, please, let's leave some things behind. We are the body of Christ. We are the redemption for this country. He said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, the church is the foundation and the pillar of truth, the support of truth. The world can't tell us how to think. Listen, every trouble in this country is our fault. If you believe that, say amen. <laughs> Boko Haram is not a problem. I hope you know that. They are a small problem. They are a very small problem. I was, in, <laughs> I was in Makoti the other day. We went to do our seminar last year. I finished preaching. Somebody said that eh, all the crisis is satanic agenda to thwart. I said, who told you that? Just stop sinning first. We now know whether it's satanic agenda or not. One guy from nearby, he's a preacher. He said in his church, one thing you don't preach against is adultery and fornication. He said, if you do, the church will scatter. I said, and you think headsmen are the problem? I said, no, headsmen are not the problem. They are not the problem. They are kinder to you. That's why God sent them ahead. 
Because when it comes to his judgment, you will see his men, you say, come, come, please help me. Kill me before he kills me. That I said, this year, me, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't care who who preach the truth. Are you getting my point? Yeah, we will. Change, when President Buhari said, change begins with me, it's not a lie. It was a prophetic word. No, you can prophesy without knowing. He prophesied without knowing. So we're talking about change. We're talking about change, my people of God. Change starts with you and me. It starts with the body of Christ. Change doesn't come because the, 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 the calendar changed. Change comes because we have understanding, we have revelation. And based on our understanding, based on our, on our revelation, we change our hearts, we change our attitudes, we change our behavior. Then we affect everything that's around us. I say it again. Tell every pastor you know that I said, if the, if the pastors stop lying about money, corruption will be a hidden thing again in Nigeria. I don't know what I heard what I said. If the pastors stop lying about money, if they will say in church on Sunday that if you stole money, don't give an offering. If we will do it consistently for six months, EFCC will look for who to arrest, they won't find because corruption will suddenly go back to where it belongs. Because you can't eradicate corruption entirely. But what do I mean by where it belongs? Where a few people hide to do it. And occasionally you catch somebody and it's a big deal. And if you like, elect Nuribadu as president. Nuribadu. He cannot successfully fight corruption until we pastors say no more to line with the word of God about money. If we continue into the airwaves, we will always release the spirit of corruption. And we'll be amazed when God wants to judge that we are the ones he's holding responsible, not the politicians we are pointing at. Like I say all the time, stealing money is a small thing compared to stealing gold, the word of God. Are, are you getting my point? Yes. The man who steals money has not done anything bad. But the man that adds to his word or takes away from it has done worse. He has. So if God were to start judging corruption, you'll be amazed at where he will start. Everybody that comes and says, the Lord spoke to me today that anybody that will give the first one million today, in the next six weeks, <laughs> what I'm going to do in this life, and God didn't send, tell you that. You are a thief. Before God catches a PDP or APC man, he has to catch you first, otherwise he's not just. And that's why he has left APC people alone and PDP people because when he wants to catch, how will he explain to the angels? How will he explain to the demons too that pastors lying with his word are going around free? One man that just told ordinary five billion, you are arresting him. What is five billion? It's not so much money compared to when you add to what God said. Do we want the power of God manifested? It starts with repentance. It starts with a change of attitude. It starts with a dedication to be the church indeed. To being Christians indeed. To the, being the church indeed. When I say church, I mean, I, I'm going to talk about it. I mean some things. Once they hear, you know, our culture is just different. Are you getting my point? We are not first known for being Christians by mouth. We are first known for being Christians by how we behave differently. We just have a totally new, totally new culture. 
And if they are, look, listen, we are in the East here. When we are discussing marginalization, our way of addressing it will be different. When I talk about presidency, it must go around the regions. How you talk about it will be different. You are a civil servant. When you get to work, it will be different. When they give you money, how you retire will be different. Are you getting my point? When you travel on an assignment, say, bring the receipts. People, anybody that travels with you say there's trouble. Say, this man will, ne- will ne- never let us eat money. Because company gave all of you 15, 15,000 naira for hotel. You all stayed in your cousin's houses. The man comes by and says, here's my 15,000. The other people, a <laughs> guy will now call you. Tell the truth. You all stay in that hotel. I saw the receipts. So a guy have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Once you say like that, a guy knows that you don't want to lie, but you also don't want to talk. Knowing that you told the truth, though. You don't want to put everybody else in trouble. Of course, that's why. You think it's a joke when they put Daniel, when they roped Daniel in? Daniel was spoiling business like that. And this year, you too, you will spoil business like that. Amen. Yeah. That is when the power of God starts manifesting. You too, you will spoil business like, once they just put in a group, everybody said they are not going for the assignment again. I'm not going. Why? My spirit does not agree with his spirit. <laughs> Can I say another thing? You're not doing it for promotion, even though that's how people get promoted. After a while, a man that really wants his money complete, he knows who to put in charge. But we are not doing it for promotion. Sometimes we do it, we end up in the lion's den. Can I tell you something? The lions will not eat you. Amen. But even if it eats you, you will die rejoice. Because no people like this lion will not eat you. Some people have been eating. <laughs> Somebody said, does righteousness pay? He said it's not supposed to pay, it's supposed to be done. The person I'm quoting use other words, okay? How the woman said this? He said, look, he said, righteousness is the normal way Christians behave. Don't expect any reward for it. He said, I didn't tell a lie, and I got the job. Because he said, no, don't expect the job. Just don't tell the lie. You don't lie. It's not all these years you've been doing righteousness. Has he paid you? He's not supposed to pay me. It's just the way I live. That's Christianity. Let's pray for a minute. Just say, Lord, I dedicate myself to you this year again. Amen. Say, I dedicate myself to you. That's all I have to say. I dedicate myself to you. I dedicate myself to you. I dedicate myself to being an instrument of change, an instrument of righteousness, an instrument of change. I dedicate myself to being an instrument of righteousness. Say it, I accept the sufferings of Christ. Important prayer point. Open your mouth and say that. I accept the sufferings of Christ. I accept the sufferings of Christ on behalf of his body, on behalf of my assignment, on behalf of the thing that he has sent me to do. I accept his sufferings. I accept his sufferings. I accept his sufferings. I accept the sufferings of Christ. I do. I accept the sufferings. In 2019, I accept the sufferings of Christ. I will know the meaning of the sufferings of Christ. I want to be conformable, Paul said, unto his death. Yes, my life will count. I accept that suffering of Christ. For the sake of his people, for the sake of his purpose on the earth, I accept his sufferings. 
I want, you to pray, I want us to pray one prayer. Say, Lord, I want your power to manifest in my life. Amen. Yes, that's it. I want to reflect Christ in reality. I want to reflect Christ in reality. I, I want to know. I want to know. I don't want to just have faith, you know. I have faith, I just believe. No, I want to know. Be fully persuaded. Paul said the things that you have learned and have become convinced of. I want to get to that point in my knowledge of God. I want to get to that point in my knowledge of Christ Jesus. I want to get to that point in this year. And I want the gospel of Jesus to be manifested through my hands. Let's open to the book of Mark chapter 16. Let's read it together. And then we'll close with it. From verse 15. Everybody, let's read from verse 15. We are going to end in verse 18. Are you ready? Mark chapter 16. We are reading from verse 15. Are we ready? One to let's go. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. If you have believed, say amen. Amen. If you have believed the gospel, say amen. Amen. And now say, these signs will accompany those who have believed. Say after me, in his name, name. I will cast out demons. I will speak with new tongues. tongues. Now let me quickly say something briefly. When he was talking about new tongues here, he wasn't talking about praying in tongues though. What he was saying is that you will get one day to one community whose language you do not know. You want to say good morning in the English or Igbo that you know normally. You open your mouth, you hear something, and then they will answer in a language you don't understand. They heard you clearly. Then you open your mouth, you will speak like that for 30 minutes. You have no idea what you are saying. But they are understanding you clearly. At the end of the day, your companions will say, ah, you didn't tell us you could speak the local language. You will say to them, oh, was that the local language? What was I even saying? He said, it sounded to me as if I was praying in tongues. That's what he was talking about there. It was a sign. I'm not talking about praying in tongues now. I want to explain what this one is. So say after me again. Say in the name of Jesus. Jesus. I have believed. I I will cast out demons. I will will speak new languages. I will will pick up serpents. And if I drink any deadly poison, poison, the serpent will not hurt me. The The poison will not hurt me. me. Say, I will lay my hands on the sick. sick. And they will recover. recover. Can I just say something to you? This year, please, stop thinking money. God, this year is my year of... My year of what now? Breakthrough, prosperity, uh, promotion. Say, this year, me to Lord... I just I have one prayer request, Lord. I want a cancer person that's in stage four, who they say will die. I want to lay hands on the person, and the person will be healed. That's a prayer point. I want to see somebody that got involved in a gas explosion, and they brought the body to hospital, 90% burnt. Medically speaking, no chance of survival. Lord, 
I will put my hands on the gauze wrapping the body. And when the nurses and the doctors remove it after a few days, they see new skin growing. And I want to hear shout. And they will say, what happened? They say, that is Jesus happening. You know, if we pursue these things with aggression, we will not even remember money. Then all other things can now be following. Somebody say after me, say, this is my year. Of fruitfulness, of fruitfulness, multiplication, multiplication and, manifestation. and manifestation. Emphasis on manifestation. Say it again. In the name of Jesus. Because I have believed. In the name of Jesus. I have believed on his name. This year, I cast out demons. This year, I speak with new tongues. Say this year. I will pick up serpents, even if I pick a cobra, even if I pick a deadly viper, even if it strikes at me, if I drink poison, if somebody poisons me because they don't like me, it will not hurt me. Say, most importantly, this year, I will place my hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, now, I want you to, I don't know why I'm thinking cancer. That's what I want you to think of. Somebody who's dying from cancer. Because if malaria gets healed, eh, somebody said that he could have gotten healed. But eh, you will see somebody who has no chance of being healed. And this year you will place your hands on the person and the person will be healed. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That's what you will pursue this year. The manifestation of Jesus Christ. Amen. First in your personal character. That is, you said, God, this year... Every word, anything I do, let righteousness show. Ah, we have, we have done breakthrough seminar too many times. 17 keys to multiply your money. Even pastors will be sending, if you are interested in doubling your money in five weeks, reply this. No, that's not our portion this year. Amen. Pursuit after money is not our portion. Amen. Pursuit after comfort is not our portion. Amen. Pursuit after where life is easy is not our portion. Amen. Say it again, I receive, I receive the, sufferings the sufferings of Christ. Yeah, it's important. Remember, it's not suffering for sin. It's not suffering for my own personal issues. but suffering for something greater. Somebody listening to me, you will go on missions this year. Amen. I say amen. amen. Don't worry, you'll enjoy it. Doesn't mean you have a land cruiser. You will go on a keke. But I'm, trusting, I'm telling you the truth. You will enjoy it. Because when you go on that mission, you will raise the dead. Listen, if they bring you a man that they said died yesterday, you pray for him, he wakes up, you will never disbelieve again in your life. And I can assure you, they are not coming to your chambers. They are there in the mission field. Those who come to your chambers are troublemakers. <laughs> Those police have arrested. <laughs> what am I going to say? This year, somebody will go on mission. Amen. When I say you'll enjoy it, listen to me. You will raise the dead. Amen. You will place your hands on a man who died yesterday. I don't mean the one that the doctor, they are calling the doctor to certify dead. No. He died yesterday morning. It's over 24 hours. And you will walk in and say, leave. And the man that dies yesterday will sneeze. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. 
We are not filled with the Spirit of Christ. Live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. Yes, I was waiting to get there. This is our season of what? In the name of Jesus. Let's do it one more time. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus. Turn to somebody around you, three people. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus. Two more people.